Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing our journey through 1 Timothy chapter 4. So if you would, please open your Bibles with me there. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And although this little book might only take up four or five pages in your Bible, I hope that we've seen just how much this book has to offer us an understanding what Christ, through the Apostle Paul, is calling his church to believe. And that what we believe drives how we live. Even if we just look at what chapter 4 alone has shown us so far, we've seen that believing false teaching leads to death. But believing true teaching, the teaching of God's word, leads to life. And not just any life, but eternal life. The life that comes from the living God, the God who lives forever. And whether you are a believer in Christ this morning, or whether you are not, you need to hear this this morning. His life, the life that God gives, can only be found in His Word. And none of God's instructions on how to live will mean anything to us if we don't have life in the first place. And it's important for us to see that God's instructions on how we are called to live, they aren't just His suggestions or recommendations. No, they are His commands. And if there's anything that can cause confusion among Christians, it's what to do with God's commands. Some of us might approach his commands by reacting against legalism, wanting to protect the truth that we are saved by God's grace, not by what we do. Amen. But others of us might want to approach his commands by reacting against laziness. So you have legalism on one side, laziness on the other, wanting to protect the truth that Yes, we are saved by grace, of course. But this can't mean that what we do doesn't matter. And the reality is that Scripture is filled with God's commands. And along these lines, we might be quick to think of passages like Deuteronomy chapter 4, which Vicki just read for us a few moments ago. And we might be tempted to say, well, commands are they're just in the Old Testament. And we don't live under the law anymore. But what about the fact that the New Testament has commands too? What I'm trying to do is to help us see that in both Old and New Testaments, the Lord commands his people to walk in obedience to him. But here's what's truly new about life in the New Testament. Under God's new covenant. If we have been converted... If we've received new hearts through the power of the Spirit, we are now able to walk in obedience to Him. And not only able to obey Him, but by His grace to become increasingly devoted to obey Him, delighted to obey Him. And don't just take my word for it. Listen to the Apostle John in 1 John 5. He says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Beloved, this means that God's commands are good. They are good. 
And so with these things in mind, we could say that although we aren't saved through a life of obedience, we are saved to a life of obedience. Obeying his word is an outward evidence of an inward change of a heart that desires to be devoted to his word above all else. And we find this to be true in our passage this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 4, 11 through 16. And y'all might know from time to time, I like to get a little nerdy with the Bible. And so I did a quick search to see just how many commands are in the book of 1 Timothy alone. And it might surprise you to learn that there are over 40 of them. And 10 of them are found in this passage, the passage we have this morning. Every single verse begins with a command from the Apostle Paul to young Timothy. We could call these Paul's Ten Commandments for pastoral ministry. And although Paul is speaking to the pastor of Ephesus, he intends for these things to trickle down into the entire church through Timothy's leadership and Example. And this is because the faithful teaching of Scripture, the only true teaching, it has transformative power. And so I've titled this morning's sermon, The Teaching That Transforms. The Teaching That Transforms. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And as I read... I want us to listen for how the word transforms us and what it transforms us to do. How the word transforms us and what it transforms us to do. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, here is the main truth that our passage commands of us this morning. Our lives must put the word into practice. Our lives must put the word into practice. And this happens in two main ways. We reflect the word and we protect the word. So first, let's look at reflect the word. Verses 11 through 14. It's interesting that the very first thing Timothy is commanded to do is actually to command the word himself. But he's not being called to do this like some sort of army general as a way of just asserting his own authority over the people. Rather, like a mirror that reflects God's word, Timothy's life must show that he himself is under a greater authority. 
And that any commands that he would give would only carry any weight if his life displays that he is first commanded by the word himself. Look with me at verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Now, as far as the first portion of this verse, I want, I want to show you what this verse is not saying. Paul is not calling every young pastor to make this their life verse, to run around waving 1 Timothy 4.12 like a banner, demanding people to show him some respect. No, respect and honor must be earned. And it's only earned as Timothy sets an example through his life by living a life that reflects the word. And I do realize the irony here. I'm a 27-year-old pastor preaching on a verse about not despising a pastor for his youth. Some of y'all are laughing because the Lord has a sense of humor. And in his providence, I happen to be the one assigned with preaching this passage this morning, which actually puts me in the perfect position to throw my fellow younger men under the bus with me. Because if we're honest with ourselves, it can be easy to assume that we already know it all. We don't need to learn from others. And our wives would be the first to say this is not the case. It's far from true. What it does mean that we have the incredible opportunity to seek out the wisdom of our older brothers in Christ and to learn from their example. Whenever I've taken advantage of these opportunities, I've been so grateful for what the Lord has taught me through these brothers. And so us, younger brothers, we should be eager to seek out our older brothers. And older brothers, be eager to come alongside your younger brothers and to help them. But although it is generally true that wisdom increases with age, We also learn from other passages of Scripture that whether young or old, true wisdom comes from the Spirit. If you remember young Elihu in Job chapter 32, he rebukes Job's friends who have given him horrible counsel. And he says, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore, I was afraid and timid to declare my opinion to you. But then he says this, but it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. John Piper, once preaching on these verses, said, when we search for a source of wisdom, we do not end our search with the question, how old is he? Rather, we end it with the question, who has the spirit of wisdom and understanding? And even among our own youth here at Redeemer, I was struck by the wisdom I saw last week as we looked at God's word together. And I would say to you, youth, you must remember any wisdom that you might have, it's from the Lord. All Christians, regardless of age, must guard against the pride of knowing it all or having it all together. Because none of us are immune to this temptation. And this is what Paul is warning Timothy of in this verse. If Timothy would be marked by youthful pride, if if we would be marked by youthful pride, 
then we will be despised by others. And that would be right. But this doesn't mean that it should prevent Timothy or us from displaying a godly confidence, a trust that's in Christ alone. And this will be shown through four areas of life, through speech, I'm sorry, five, speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. In many ways, what Paul is calling Timothy to do is to be a living, breathing example of his original aim from 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, where he said, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the same elements that Paul is now calling Timothy to live out with his life. And if this goal would be carried about out among the Ephesians, it largely depends on how it is modeled by their leaders. And this is why Paul devoted almost an entire chapter of this letter to character qualifications of the church's leaders, the elders and deacons. And now Timothy is being called, we are being called to set this same example through our lives. We can also understand this example as a pattern, meaning that Timothy's life is following after the pattern of God's word. And the rest of the church is to follow after that very same pattern. That their lives would reflect God's word. And this is the calling of every church from Ephesus to Texas. And at this point, it's helpful for us to ask, well, what are reflections supposed to do? What's the purpose of a reflection? Well, they point back to the real thing, displaying its beauty in a different light. So if you've been to Washington, D.C., or maybe you've seen Nicolas Cage's American masterpiece, National Treasure, you know that famous view of the Washington Monument from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. But there isn't just an open field between them. There's a reflection pool. And why is the reflection pool there? Well, it's to magnify the beauty of the Washington Monument, to bring it to life on an even greater scale. And this is what God intends for our lives to do with the word. They are to display the beauty, to reflect its beauty to the watching world. Now, notice that I'm not saying that we make the word beautiful. No, it's already beautiful beyond explanation in and of itself. And it's beautiful because it is the word of our beautiful, majestic, and glorious king. All we are calling to do is simply to reflect the beautiful truth of his word. But this will only be seen through the eyes of faith. To our natural eyes, apart from Christ, we won't see the beauty of God's word. And we won't see it reflected in the lives of others. In the words of our sweet Lizzie's favorite hymn, Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eyes of sinful man thy glory may not see. Now, going back to D.C., when I was there several years ago, the reflection pool was under construction. So there was nothing reflecting the monument that day. And if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, this is what you see 
when you look at God's word. But if you would repent of your sin, if you would trust in him by faith, your eyes will be opened to behold his beauty and the beauty of his word. And we pray that you would see its ongoing beauty and truth displayed through the lives of the saints of this church, of Christians who love his word. Now let's get into what what specific areas of life uh, this we are being called to reflect our speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Now this should lead us to ask several questions of ourselves, reflecting on our own lives. Where am I most in need of growth? Are the words that I speak honoring to others? Do they bring glory to myself or to the Lord? Do I carry myself with humility? Do I put the needs of others before myself? Do I pursue others even when it's painful or inconvenient? What am I telling those around me to trust in? My wisdom or God's wisdom? If married, do my thoughts, words, and actions obviously demonstrate my sole commitment to my spouse? Am I motivated to pursue holiness? Could other believers look at these areas of my life and say, that's what it looks like to follow Christ? Now, of course, we need to say we're not talking about perfection. But if we are sensitive to the Spirit's conviction we will find ourselves answering no to all of these questions at different points in our lives. And what is most important is that when the Spirit helps us to see that we are not reflecting the Word in these areas, that we are quick to confess where we fall short, repenting of our sin, seeking forgiveness, just like we did this morning, seeking both the forgiveness of the Lord and from one another. Because, beloved, the truth is that our lives will only reflect the word if we are steeped in it. And this is where Paul now turns in verse 13. Paul says to Timothy, until I come, you should dabble in the word a little bit. Now, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Now, to be devoted is to be all in. And this ties us back to the beginning of the chapter where Paul warned us of those who will depart from the faith. And what were they doing? They were devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and to the teachings of demons. Redeemer, whatever we would devote ourselves to will be displayed in how we live. It's a fact. And so this is why we are saying our lives must put the word into practice. And this will only happen if we are devoted to his truth, to the truth of his word. And when we gather as a church, like we're doing this morning, we're reminding ourselves of our devotion to the reading of God's word, to the preaching of God's word, to the teaching of God's word, just like we see in this passage. And we could say that every aspect of our worship gathering, whether we're singing the word, praying the word, reading the word, confessing the word, sitting under the preaching of the word, all of this is submitting ourselves, submitting our hearts to be what? To be taught by God's word. 
And these are not things that are exclusive to Timothy's ministry and to the Ephesians. They remain the responsibilities of, of every church that seeks to be faithful to Christ. That those who are devoted to the word will display the word through their lives. Now, as we get to verse 14, we do have some things here that mainly apply to Timothy. Uh, If you look with me at verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, that's interesting. And some of you were reading ahead and were wondering where I was going to go with this verse. And I don't think the point is for us to, to think that something magical happens when elders lay their hands on someone. But I do think what we are seeing and, and agreeing with, with other commentators is that Timothy is being commissioned. He's being ordained for ministry. This is what Paul is talking about. And this was a common practice of the apostles when the church was, was just starting. Even later in 1 Timothy 5, Paul tells Timothy, don't be hasty in laying on of hands, which seems to mean being cautious of of who he would endorse to labor alongside him in Ephesus. But that being said, the main focus of verse 14 is not on the laying on of hands, but it is the gift that Timothy has received, the gift of teaching God's word. And it's true of every other pastor after Timothy, faithful to use this gift, the entire church, benefits from this teaching. And we know this to be true at Redeemer Church as we sit under the preaching ministry of our dear brother, Ryan. Brother, don't neglect this gift that the Lord has given you. The Lord has been faithful to cultivate this gift in you, and we have been blessed by it. You help us follow the pattern of the word with our lives. But following the pattern of the word is only the first step In this process, we aren't just called to reflect the word. We are called to protect the word. That's our second and final point this morning. Protect the word. Verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And so, beloved, if we are truly committed to God's word, we will protect it in his strength. And that's why Paul has used such strong language throughout this passage. Don't just devote yourself to the scriptures. Immerse yourself in them. Literally, this this means to to be in them. So in other words, we're not just being called to, to dip our big toe into God's truth. No, we're called to go swimming in his truth. Immersed in it at all times. Why? Well, here's the answer, so that all may see your progress. Because if we are living in his word, if we are living by his word, then those around us should be able to witness the Lord growing us. It's progress. And this is what it looks like for our lives to be putting the word into practice. And for young Timothy, a pastor in training, he would only grow in his preaching of God's word as he was immersed in it. And I'm convicted of that this morning. And this wasn't just for his growth, but for that of the entire church. 
And this is why we deeply value ministries like Simeon Trust that, that faithfully equip expositors to grow in their preaching so that the entire church would benefit from their progress. And the word progress is key. Because for each and every one of us, this growth doesn't just happen overnight. And it requires our careful attention. Look with me at verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Now, why is Timothy being commanded to keep a close watch on himself? Well, this isn't anything new. It's, it's exactly what we heard in Deuteronomy 4 earlier. And this chapter, 1 Timothy 4, began with this stern warning. The devil is seeking to devour Timothy and the Ephesians through false teaching. And there will be some who depart from the faith, who fall prey to Satan's devices. But if we are to remain in the faith, we must follow the scriptures closely. Hand in hand with the teaching that we follow, our lives must protect the word. Both are needed. One without the other has no enduring value. And those who watch the scriptures closely will also want to watch their own lives closely as they look in the mirror of God's word. And thankfully, Timothy's fellow elders would have been aware of this calling as well. If you would just keep your finger in 1 Timothy 4 and flip over to Acts chapter 20. I want to read a section here from Acts 20 where Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. So the elders of the same church that Timothy was, was pastoring. Look with me at verse 27. Paul says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen. Well, notice how these elders, right, they're only called to pay careful attention to themselves and to the flock after they have received the whole counsel of God from the Apostle Paul. In other words, the elders first need to receive the word themselves before leading the flock to reflect and to protect God's word. And this is just as true for pastors today. As I said earlier, they only command the word if the word first commands them. And Paul's also warning about these fierce wolves who will rise up among them, drawing others away from them. That's exactly what Timothy is being warned about in chapter 4, that these false teachers are these fierce wolves who set out to destroy the sheep. 
But shepherds who protect the word protect the sheep. And this protection of the word comes with an incredible promise. Paul tells Timothy that if he is persistent, if he's persistent to protect the word, he will save both himself and his hearers. Notice that he says this will save them. This is a salvation in the future. And for the Apostle Paul, the saving power of God's word in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has past, present, and future realities. Throughout his letters, Paul frequently declares that the gospel has saved us in the past. Amen. But he also says that the gospel is currently saving us in the present. The beginning of 1 Corinthians 15 is a clear example of this. When, when Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And so what this does is it expands our understanding of the gospel's power to save. That when we believed in the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and risen. It's not only that we were saved then in that moment. But that we are currently being saved by the truth of the gospel. And that our salvation is, is being worked out in the present. But in that same verse, Paul also said, this only happens if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you. And this is exactly what 1 Timothy 4.16 is teaching us. The promise of our final salvation. It commands us to persevere in protecting the word until that day. Yes, we must firmly believe that Christ alone saves us. And Paul has made this crystal clear throughout 1 Timothy. He's not saying anything different. What he's emphasizing now is that we must also believe that he uses the preaching of his word to enable us to continue in his salvation. To say it another way, if the word has truly taken hold of us, that we must take hold of it until the very end. And if we would hold on to his word with our lives, then this will be our prayer, which we sung earlier this morning. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth and plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. That the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. So, Redeemer Church, what would it look like for our lives to put the word into practice? Well, according to 1 Timothy 4, it would look like being devoted to the word, being immersed in the word, being persistent, persevering in the word until the end. It would look like living as those who are saved to obedience. Has his word taken hold of you in this way? Although our lives won't be marked by perfect obedience, they must be marked by a persevering obedience 
And it's not just a vague obedience that the Lord has left undefined. No, it is a living and active obedience to his word. And whether our lives will put God's word into practice in this way depends on these two commands from our text this morning. That our lives must reflect the word and they must protect the word. We will only live out the word as we live in the word. So may it be our prayer that the Lord would continue to make Redeemer Church into a people that is committed to living out this truth together. All of life, all for the word. Let's pray. Lord, we do praise you for your word. God, your word that saves, your word that sanctifies, your word that keeps us until the very end. I pray that you would use your word this morning to encourage those who are trusting in you to continue persevering, trusting in your word, clinging to it alone by faith. And God, for those here who don't know you this morning, would you use your word to open their eyes Lord, through your spirit, cause them to see that there is nothing more beautiful, there is nothing more true than living a life that is devoted, than living a life that reflects and protects your word. And God, by your grace, would you use this church, would you use the lives of the saints of Redeemer, Lord, for your word to go out for you to be glorified in all these things. We pray these in Christ's name. Amen.